You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, a special uh, bonus episode of Season 4 of Learning How to See. Uh, I'd like to begin with a prayer that I include in the book, Do I Stay Christian? Um, It's from page 210, and it just feels like this prayer is really appropriate for this spirit behind so many of the questions that came in through this season. So let me read it as a prayer for us right now. I do not know everything. I do not even know how much I do not know. Nor do I know how much of what I know is impartial, faulty, or false. So I pray. Source of all truth, help me to hunger for truth, even if it upsets, modifies, or overturns what I already think is true. Guide me into all the truth I can bear and stretch me to bear even more so that I may always choose the whole truth, even with disruption, over half-truths with self-deception. Grant me passion to follow wisdom wherever it leads. Well, in that spirit, uh, seeking for truth that stretches us beyond what we may already think. First, let me welcome uh, my colleagues Dawson Allen, Michael Petro, and Gigi Ross uh, for uh, an engagement with some of the amazing and beautiful and powerful and touching questions that that came in uh, from season four. And Dawson, will you start us with uh, with a question for today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if this is the right place to email my question for your final episode, but trust that if it's meant to be, it'll find the right landing spot. I'm a 62-year-old cradle Catholic who has been questioning Catholicism for several years and have distanced myself as a practicing Catholic over the past two to three years. My husband and I both received all our sacraments in the Catholic Church, including our marriage, and raised our now three adult children in the Catholic tradition. I was very active in our church as a Eucharistic minister, lector, and cantor, along with religious education teacher and various committees over the years. The local church that we were a member of is also the church that I was raised in, so not only in faith practice, but also our extended religious and social connections for most of my life. So Catholicism has been my religious tribe all my life. Over the past years, while my personal faith with the divine has grown deeper and deeper, I started questioning the patriarchy, the hypocrisy of sexual scandals, and the fence building that I see in Catholicism. Some people are in, some people are out, which really came to a head when our grandson announced that he was gay. I could not, in all good conscience, support a religious community that would not support my grandson. I had to choose to stay and be silent, stay in race hell, or leave. I left. Brian, there's so much to unpack there, but it strikes me that this is is exactly why you set out on writing this, this book, Do I Stay Christian? So I'd love to hear any initial reflections on, on the first part of this question. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure each of us felt how honest and moving it is. And, and it's just a reminder, uh, a lot of people think, oh, it's only young people 
um, having problems with the church. It's only evangelicals going through, quote, deconstruction. But here's a 62-year-old cradle Catholic going through um, these struggles over many years, but intensifying in, in her 60s. And I'm really struck by the, the this love. I love my church. It's been such a big part of my life. But I love my grandson. And I can't pretend to support a community that won't support my grandson. I just, the, the, the integrity and struggle uh, of this. You know, it, here's an irony. I wonder sometimes if the way the church works, whether it means to or not, is it does us our greatest favor when it brings us to the point where we have to disagree with it, <laughs> where we have to say, you have raised me to be a member of a community in conversation about God, in deep thinking about God. And I have reached a point where I think differently than my community about God. And the church might see that as a failure in the person, but it may be a, a success that this is an essential part of each of our own spiritual growth. I know this is true for me. I, I grew up, and by the time I was eight or nine years old, I was having theological struggles with things my church taught, and that just continued uh, through the years. I just, the other day I was talking with Jim Finley, and he was remembering th that powerful story of St. John of the Cross, who wanted to reform his order, and members of his order threw him in a just a disgusting pit of a jail cell and took him out every day to beat him up and then throw him back in the cell. And, and of course, that's the darkness of that cell became the dark night out of which his deeper engagements with God came. Um, but I think there is something about that that a lot of us experience. I, does that resonate with, uh, with any of you? Yeah. Um, it reminds me that in many traditional societies, there's a place where um, in order to become an adult, you come to this place where you have to question. You get to question just the way you learned about how your community and, and reality interface um, spiritually. And so that's built into the society. But in the Western society, we don't do those kinds of rites of passage. And so we, I think, in some ways are kind of stuck in that place where, where um, the question, what happens when we question something, we, we just get to decide what to keep and what not to keep, and we get to make it our own instead of just being what we were always spoon-fed as a child. Um, and so it's a really adult move to question and then come to grapple and integrate with what makes sense for you. And unfortunately, there are very few um, churches, sort of church communities that allow that to happen. Um, and so this questioner and many others are in that place where they are seeking to become adult believers and don't have a place in their church community that will allow them to do that. So I, I hear that in, in this question. As you say that, uh, Gigi, I, I think of a young man, 31 years old or so, who um, stands up in his religious community and says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and in a sense, you know, Jesus in that way is saying, I have permission to challenge assumptions shared by my community. And, and of course, that's part of the struggle, isn't it? The religion, ostensibly representing Jesus, often doesn't allow um, that kind of spiritual adulthood that you were just talking about. Um, thank God, it sometimes does. And 
my hope and prayer is that in the years ahead, because of people like the folks sending in these questions, this will change. There will be more of these kinds of communities that welcome people into spiritual adulthood. But right now we live, uh, we live in that tension. Well, Dawson, maybe you could continue reading this question from this listener. Sure. I was also truly seeking a faith tradition that was transformational rather than transactional, one that changed people's lives. What I was experiencing was people, including me, who showed up and did what they did out of a routine and habit. Not a bad church or bad people, just not not a good fit anymore. I feel like I've evolved in my spirituality, my relationship with the divine, and that the Catholic Church does not support my faith in terms of where it's at now. I don't feel ill will towards it, and if it works for others, that's fine. It just doesn't work for me anymore. At the same time, I do miss some things. The comfort of the familiar, the belonging to a tribe, and most of all, any sort of a spiritual community. I do not know where I'm going. I just know that back there is not it. And Brian, this might be another good place to stop just to sort of share any thoughts you might have on grief, changing beliefs in community. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I want to say that this uh, dear uh, person is Roman Catholic, but we could hear identical stories from Southern Baptists or uh, Episcopalians or uh, or whatever. I mean, we could hear this same heart's cry from from many, many people. That's the f- first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is I'm very fortunate in this because I get around and I travel and I write and people contact me. I hear a lot of stories like this, but I also know there are a lot of communities where this person would be welcome and where what they're looking for, never perfectly, but what this person is looking for really exists in, in a church, and including in a Catholic church. I, when I was a Protestant, the most open spiritual community I ever encountered was a Catholic uh, community. So very often it has less to do with the label and more to do with just the accident of where we live and whether there is such a, a community uh, that has room for us and room for us to grow, uh, whether that's whether that's nearby. But I also sense part of what you just read to us. It, this is about grief that a grief that a lot of us share, and um, I think it's worth just pausing and taking that grief seriously. That there are communities that nurtured us, that meant the world to us, that taught us so much of what we know and made us so much of who we are. And now we don't feel we fit in those communities. Does that resonate with the three of you in any way? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it it hits hard for me. First of all, just loved everything that's been said up to this point and really, really, really appreciated what Gigi said about sort of a mature community where you can ask questions and challenge things. And so, you know, my, my rubric sort of with some of this has been um, – there's a line, a song that I love that says, when you find yourself the villain in the story, you've written it like it's time to leave. And so I would I would sort of, there have been spiritual communities where I've had to ask myself, like, okay, I there's things I can't agree with. If I'm not part of the solution, I'm part of the problem, so I have to go. And and there's a, there's a you know, you justify the choice, but there was, for me, initially almost a shame when I would leave a community to go, oh, I disagree with everything. I disagree with major, major things about that, but I still am 
so sad to have lost these people and this support. And while I might protest how they exclude other people, I'm embarrassed to admit that I miss being included. And to be very honest, when I haven't taken the time to grieve those losses, I've carried them into my attempts to find new community and it's been not great for me. So I really, really just, yeah, I just wanna, wanna honor that grief. And, and uh, I'd be curious um, for the three of you, like if you've found ways that are helpful to grieve the loss of community or the loss of certainty or the loss of inclusion. Mike, let me say one thing that helped me in that grief. First of all, I, I think the grief is, as you say, it's real, it's natural, and it's good. It, we have to grieve that something precious is, feels it's, it's being taken from us, we're losing it. But I didn't want to become bitter. That was my problem. I was very tempted to be so angry at these people. Like, I'm growing. Why aren't you growing at the same pace and in the same direction I am? Why aren't you as mature as I am? Uh, which has all kinds of irony in it. A thought came to me when I was in the middle of struggling with this. I felt it was the voice of the Spirit in some way. And, and here it was. it was. It was just this sense, let people off the hook. Let people off the hook meant the hook that they have put in themselves. And here's the hook. The idea that people of our religion or denomination or congregation are better than normal people. And what I needed to do is say, you know what? These are normal people. These are human beings. And so am I. And part of what, in a sense, the grief was forcing me to face was that we're, in the end, we're all fragile human beings. And we're all filled with biases and problems and fears and hangups and uh, cowardice and reactivity and all the rest and all the beautiful things that go along with being human. Because what I found is, when Christians of my background said, we're better than everybody else, we're biblical, we're spirit-filled, we're whatever, I would hold them to that standard and be super angry and disappointed at them for acting like normal people. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's one of the ways that I was able to cope with the grief without getting, <laughs> without getting too bitter. That's super helpful, Brian. I appreciate that. I hadn't considered that, that, that grief prevents sadness from becoming even more powerful anger. That's, that's really good. Dawson, why don't you uh, bring us the rest of this, this letter? So my question for you is, how do I find a new spiritual community? I really have no interest in changing to another organized Christian religion, which I feel have the same issues, just with a different box. I do, however, still believe very much in the Jesus story and his example for us in our lives which I guess makes me Christian. We live in a very rural area. The only religious communities in the area are Catholic and Protestant churches. I've considered online communities, but I'm truly seeking an in-person community. I've come to the conclusion I may have to try and start my own small community, but I don't know where to begin. Our friends and family in the area are still very much rooted in their local church. I continue to pray to God that he will guide and direct me. He knows that I feel as if I'm wandering in the wilderness, which I kind of am. But I'm also certain that I'm not alone in my experience. I can't be the only one who feels this way. Advice? Oh my, I'd love to hear your reactions to this. I had a, a different experience. I never felt accepted by my home, the, the church I grew up in. So I came, I found my, I was always searching for community most of my life. Um, and 
for me, the threat was what, where did I feel like home? And I felt like home in, in contemplative practices. And so I looked for places where there were groups who were practicing. Um, eventually I found, so the first place I, I looked in, I was living in DC and there, the communities that were most um, involved in contemplative practices and contemplative spirituality was the Episcopal Church. And so I find my, I found myself going to the Teze service, which like a previous questioner, I loved it because there was no sermon. Um, it was just singing and silence um, and prayers. And so and then eventually um, I got into centering prayer and there were two churches equal distance from where I was living, two parishes that where you had centering prayer groups. And I I tried them both, and one I just felt more it felt more warm to me, so I just started going to just to the the centering prayer group, which was like a Wednesday night, and then eventually I decided to try this the church service, um, and then I eventually became an Episcopalian. Um, and so at the same time that was happening, I also started working at a contemplative um, Christian organization, um, and there I also felt fully accepted as myself. And so that also became a community for me. And I, I would add that what was important for me was the acceptance and sense of belonging, not 100% agreement with everything or that people were, were perfect because there were problems in all of those and there were things that I would have done differently. But um, it was a place where I could allow that love for that community to actually come through and flourish. And so even when there were these difficulties and eventually one of the communities I had to leave for various reasons. The love was still there. Um, and so my grief came after that. <laughs> um, and for me, by that time, I had people who weren't involved in that community, but who were good listeners, um, who I could just come to and talk to and just process what I was going through. Um, and I guess I find for me that being in the place where I'm open, I just kind of stay open and allow God to show me and allow God to bring things to me. Um, that's just my way. There are there are other people who have more energy and innovation and creativity. They start communities. That's just not me. Um, <laughs> and so for me, it's just being open and allowing what shows up and just taking advantage of what shows up and just letting that lead me to another place, to another place, to another place. That's kind of how it works for me. That's an important story to tell because some people feel they're leaving a place and there will never be a place that will be right for them. And then you have a story where you found some places that really were good landing pads for you or good good, uh, good new homes um, for you spiritually. Uh, Dawson, how about you? I mean, I'll start by just candidly saying that I don't have an answer to this question. Like I don't, I don't have a resolution um, or a sort of personal story that I can say, hey, I found this one particular community and, you know, it's cohesively meeting all my hopes and desires for, for spirituality and religion in our current moment. But what I will say is um, I really appreciated the sort of arc that this question took um, in this sort of, I think it was Walter Brueggemann who used the term prophetic imagination. And it sounds like this, this sort of conclusion that's coming here is trying to imagine a new kind of community. And just to scale that out a little bit, I think that's what our moment is calling for in a lot of ways is I mean, there's, there's a ton of different ways to say it. I think Albert Einstein said the same thinking that created the problem can't then solve that problem or Audre Lorde who says the master's tools can't te tear down the master's home. 
But I think both of those sort of invite a new way of thinking. And and I really do believe that we're in a moment where in different capacities um, and shapes and forms, we're really being invited to thinking thinking through what are the kinds of communities that would serve our needs and be the kind of place that we would want to be, that we would want um, future generations to inherit. What are the kind of institutions? What are the kind of structures and cultures? What are the kind of leaders in this moment that we would like to follow? I think there's a really great invitation there. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have a more definitive answer, but that's where I'm at. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mike, anything you want to add there? I think what I love is this, I feel as if I'm wandering in the wilderness, which I kind of am. And I'm also certain that I'm not alone in my experience. Those are powerful words and they're archetypal. Like wandering in the wilderness is an image that we have that goes back to the very beginning of our spiritual traditions. And I'll, you know, I'll say for me, having lost brick and mortar faith communities, I carried that loss for a long time. It's, it's defined my life in a lot of ways. I have like 15 years of dreams I have where I'm driving around a town looking for the place that I'm supposed to stay and I never find it. Or I'm wandering around a giant mansion looking for the room that I'm, that I'm staying in and I never get there. But I'm never upset in the dreams. It's the weirdest thing. And they've evolved over the course of a decade and a half to now this very pleasant kind of watching people pass through and waving and, and going, I'll stay here and I'll move on. And, and what I've come to realize is that what I find myself at home in this listener's question, when she says, I feel, or he says, they say, I feel as if I'm wandering in the wilderness, which I kind of am, I feel a stirring in my heart. And I hear another person who's a part of the tribe of wandering exiles. And I say, here we all are. And what I've found is I haven't, I haven't found another brick and mortar community that meets in a building on a Sunday. But I've found this found family of other people from other faiths, from other traditions, from other religions, who've all had this experience and sort of continue the journey. And we come in and out of each other's lives and we support each other. And, and for my money, the sort of alternative orthodoxy that we talk about here at the center are also so many different mystics and contemplatives and activists who are a part of this tribe of wandering exiles. And I feel that when I talk to, to the three of you, it, it makes me feel at home in my not-at-homeness, which I also know is a very Enneagram 4 thing to say. But sorry, that's sort of my rambling <laughs> response to it. So to this person, I would say, hello, fellow traveler, uh, you know, stay with the journey. That's great. That's great. You know, I, I have a feeling that's one of the things that podcasts are doing. For people spread out in so many different places, they listen to a podcast and they think, I'm part of this conversation. This makes sense to me. I'm so glad I can eavesdrop on this because this is the conversation I need to be part of. I, I often think that what Martin Luther's 95 theses that he uh, ostensibly nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Church, that that work is happening in podcasts all, all over the place uh, now. And the CAC does this too through events and and the Living School in many ways. I, I think we'd all agree a lot of people have been attracted to the Living School because they're looking for a community uh, of people where they're allowed to ask their questions and they're allowed to think differently and they're allowed to do the things that we need to do, as, as Gigi said, to become adults, to become uh, mature I'm really uh, also struck, we've talked about this sense of grief, and it's a reminder to us how important a tribe or an extended family, or as you said, Mike, a chosen family, how important that kind of belonging 
uh, really is. There's huge amount of psychological, uh, empirical data that tells us that that kind of belonging somewhere is super important. And between COVID and social media, we have so many people who are isolated. They, they might be able to find an online community that they can join, but that feeling of being physically isolated. I haven't been hugged in months. I haven't sat and had a meal with somebody in a long time. I haven't been invited to somebody's home. And it, it's a reminder to us of our embodiment and that that hunger and that thirst for that kind of companionship, I think, is a really good thing. One of the things this question and really this whole season of episodes of this podcast, I think, have helped us see is that if you think of it this way, tribes only survive by trust. How do I know I can trust you? And the way that a lot of our religious tribes have formed is by saying, I can trust you if you agree with all of these beliefs, or if you agree with this hierarchy, or if you agree with these rituals and see them as we do. And uh, we can trust you based on agreement. And, and that creates genuine, deep belonging for a lot of people. But then when you the agreement starts to wear thin, we end up in trouble. And the four of us having this conversation in the United States right now, where so many of our churches, just in the last six years or so, have been overtly or covertly won over to white Christian nationalism. We just have to say it. There are an awful lot of people who are realizing the church I was part of, I no longer can support. Maybe because I've changed, maybe because they're changing too. And figuring out what to do. Sometimes they can find another place. But I, I, I think that maybe a good place for us to stop is with this. What um, this uh, listener said is that I have the feeling I'm supposed to start something. I'm, and, and I don't think she's saying, I'm going to start the new, reformed and reorganized Roman Catholic Church. I think what she's saying is, I got to find some people and build a little tribe uh, of fellow seekers and let me just mention a handful of resources um, that could be uh, helpful for people. I, because I receive messages like this all the time and have for the last 20 plus years, um, I wrote a book some years ago called We Make the Road by Walking. And I wrote that book with 52 chapters. Each chapter can be read aloud in 10 to 12 minutes. And there's a lectionary or set of Bible readings that goes along with each chapter. And if you can sort of see what I was doing there, I was creating a, a way that a group of people could get together for a year and have a year's worth of short meditations to then give them something to talk about with each other. And those meditations aren't asking for agreement. In fact, one of the questions that goes along with each one of them is, what about this bothered you? <laughs> and what about this do you disagree with? So the disagreement is a welcome part. It's one of the uh, honest disagreement is one of the ground rules of the community. Um, so that could be of use to people. The uh, Center for Action Contemplation and the Living School have developed circle groups and a set of guidelines that can help circle groups um, get together and give, give them some ground rules so that they can have sufficient amount of trust by saying we'll follow these ground rules to create safe spaces that aren't dependent on doctrinal agreement and so on. Um, the Quakers, the ancient Quakers, had a simple way of meeting. They would sit in silence until someone felt they had something to say. That's pretty easy to do. Or 
they would also have queries. And these queries were picked up by the Methodists in, in what was called the Methodist class meeting. But a query might be, how goes it with your soul? And you could get a group of three or five or 12 people together and just say, hey, let's just get together every week and talk about how goes it with your soul. Or another question might be, where have you experienced the divine? Where have you experienced God or the spirit or something transcendent in the way someone treated you and the way you treated someone else and some experience you had in nature in, in quietness? It's a beautiful, simple question. You can get a group of people together and ask questions like that. Um, I think some of you know my close friend, Gareth Higgins, who started a, a journal called The Porch, and they're establishing porch circles. And the idea of it's so easy to get together and rock on a rocking chair on somebody's porch. Well, it should be that easy for us to come together and be community to one another. And they have a set of resources if people want to look that up online. So... Um, there are a number of ways for that to happen. And maybe in closing, I could just say, maybe now those words of Jesus make sense in a new way. Here, there was a religious institution of the temple, and there were religious congregations called synagogues. And he says to his disciples, wherever two or three of you gather in my name, which by the way, I don't think he meant in the name of the Christian religion. I think what he meant in my name was, in my name means to carry on my work, to play the part of me. Wherever you get together to keep this thing that I'm starting going, uh, I'll be there in the midst of you. And it only takes two or three. Thanks to the Center for Action and Contemplation for all of your support for this podcast. Thanks especially to our wonderful producer, Corey Wayne, and uh, all of his artistry and support. And a special thanks to each of you for listening, for your attention, for your care, for your interest in learning how to see. And if you found this uh, series helpful, I hope you'll share it with someone you know and love. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.